It is my pleasure to be able to open uh, the Word of God to you today. This Advent season, we're going to be looking at Old Testament passages that predict the coming of the Messiah. So I hope uh, you will be here uh, throughout this season. Today, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This verse is one of the famous proph- most famous prophecies, I suppose. Uh, if you've sung or listened to the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah, you'll know that uh, that work is based on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, one of the most moving uh, compositions that I, I know of. It uh, never ceases to thrill my soul. But here in Isaiah, he describes the beautiful nature of our Savior, the nature of the Messiah to come. We know now, looking back, that he was talking about Jesus, and he predicted the nature and the character and the beauty of the person of Jesus 700 years before Jesus came into this world. The name of the, or the title of the message today is Altogether Lovely, which sounds kind of weird maybe to many of us, but uh, there is a book that is a compilation of Jonathan Edwards' sermons on the beauty and the excellency of Christ. And so as I was looking at this verse this week, it just reminded me of, of what I'd seen before And so I borrowed, if it was good enough for Jonathan Edwards, it's good enough for me, right? Altogether lovely. Our Savior is worthy of worship. He is worthy. It is ever to be our heart's desire to see Jesus more clearly and more accurately, that we might glorify Him more just by recognizing His beauty. When we see Jesus, as He truly is, it tunes our heart and it gets our hearts right and it expands our soul. We're bigger and better than we were before when we see Jesus as He is. John Owens, a 17th 17th century Puritan, said it this way. He said, the subject of the person of Christ deserves our best thought and our best meditation. If our future is to be spent with Him, gazing at His glory, then what better preparation for that day than to contemplate that glory as revealed in the gospel, so that we may be transformed into His image. That's what happens. When we look at Jesus, we see Him, we contemplate Him, we ponder, we think about Him, more and more we become transformed into His image. That's what it's about. So let's trust the Holy Spirit this morning to honor our efforts as we seek to see Jesus more clearly in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
If you'll look with me, you'll see that there are six characteristics or six descriptions of the coming Messiah in this passage. When I started preparing this message, I assumed that I would have six points, but just one with each of these descriptions. But as I worked, and the longer my sermon got, it became very clear to me that if I included all six points, we would be out of here by at least two o'clock. And so for your benefit and mine, I thought maybe we had not to do that. So today we're just going to look at the first two, okay? I don't want to rush through this. I don't want to flirt with all six of these characteristics, but, but to really ponder a little bit. So the first contemplation uh, that we can have today is, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Isaiah communicates a mountain of truth in a mere half a sentence. Don't expect that kind of brevity with me. It's just not going to happen, okay? But Isaiah, a mountain of truth. In this brief half a sentence, he predicts that God will become a man, which is really mind-blowing. Now, I know that we talk about this all the time, right? at least every year at Christmas. But, I mean, that's a part of our, our, our nomenclature. It's a part of what we talk about. But let's not get nonchalant about thinking about this truth and maybe for just a few brief moments think what it means that God himself became a man. The creator of the universe was born a man. He walked the face of the earth that he spoke into existence. He spoke it into existence, and then he came and walked on it. Do you ever stop and think just how ludicrous that sounds? If you had no Christian background, okay? If we hadn't been raised as a, as a follower of Jesus, and, and somebody told you that the first time, do you, it's almost laughable. What? God himself became a man, yet that is what we believe. And the scriptures give irrefutable evidence that it is true. God, the creator of the universe, dwelt among us. Is it any wonder that we believe that apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our mind and our hearts, that no one would believe? It takes the Holy Spirit to think something like this and to follow along in his thoughts. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus the Messiah, fully God and fully man. So let's see how he, let's unpack it a little bit. First of all, we see that he says that he is fully God. To us, a son is given. See, this is a statement of the Messiah's eternality or the foreverness of the Messiah. Jesus did not come into existence with his birth in Bethlehem. We know that God the Son has always been. He exists before time and space begun. He is an equal member of the Trinity. He has no beginning. This Son, this second person of the Trinity, was given to us. 
He, as, a, as a present, as a gift, he was given to all humanity. This one who has always existed, who spoke the world into existence, the one who had never, ever been bound by time and space, was given as a gift to us, to the likes of me, to the likes of you. God himself gave himself to you. Fully God. But he also was fully man. He says, a child is born. This is a statement of his humanity. He is not some kind of aberration. He was not some kind of ghost or a hologram. He came into this world as a baby boy. Now, again, let's just ponder. Think about it for a moment. Do you have any framework whatsoever to think about what it meant for God Himself to become a baby boy. Think about who He is. What kind of mind-blowing humility it took for God, the Creator of the universe, to come as a baby. The one who had never felt any limitation upon Himself at all. At all. He had always existed. He was all powerful. He spoke the word into uh, the world into existence. No limit on his power, no limit of his authority. The one who sits on the throne of the universe became a baby. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah. You know, Isaiah 6, is real, the calling of Isaiah, I think, is, is one of the m- most beautiful passages in all of the Scriptures. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and He was high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. And that whole passage there just speaks of the grandeur and the majesty of Jesus. I think pre-incarnate Jesus is who... Isaiah saw on the throne. And when Isaiah saw it, man, he hit the dirt and he says, Woe is me. That word means I am disintegrated. I'm coming apart at the seams. I am the presence of the Most Holy One. And in my mind, I've wondered how close Isaiah 9 came to Isaiah 6 in, in chronological terms. How long was it before he wrote, for unto us a child is born and to us a son is given, after he'd had that experience in the heavenlies? And perhaps this was in Isaiah's mind when he thought, a child is born? This being that received holy, holy, holy All of his existence, all of the created existence of the angels, having received this over and over and over again, came into this world as a baby boy who could not control his functions, who needed a diaper. The one who was so totally dependent upon his nourishment that he could not get it himself, who was limited in his understanding and his mind to the the ability and the intellect and the emotional uh, capability of a newborn child. Can you imagine even 
comprehend a moment the humility that it took for this God to be born a baby boy. And he did so, so that you and that I might know him. Please don't pass over this quickly. You can know God. You can have a personal, intimate relationship with the eternal God because Jesus came to be as a baby boy in this world. A son is given, a child is born. God revealed who He is and what He is like through His Son because we had no way to know Him or to find Him without Jesus coming. In his book, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis describes this truth through an analogy as only C.S. Lewis can do. And he uses the analogy of the relationship of a playwright and a character in the play, in his play. Now, Lewis says that before he came to know Jesus, he made the case that there was no way that a character in a play, through his own nature or through his own effort, could know the playwright, the author of the play. He says that, that the character has a chasm that is too broad to pass over to know his playwright. But as the Holy Spirit began to work on Lewis, he says no. Well, let me say, the example that he uses is Hamlet and Shakespeare, right? He says Hamlet can't know Shakespeare through his own effort. He can't know the author of the play. But, as I think the Holy Spirit started working on his heart, if Shakespeare chooses to have a relationship with Hamlet, the author, have a relationship with the character, he can do so if he writes himself into the play. If Shakespeare writes himself into the play, then he can have an interaction and a relationship with Hamlet. Hamlet can only know Shakespeare to the degree that Shakespeare reveals himself to Hamlet. Guys, this is the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. God the creator, the writer of our story has chosen to write himself into the story of the world so that we might know him. As the characters in this story, if it was left to us, we would not know him. But because he has revealed himself, he has given to us, been given to us as a gift, we can now know the eternal God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. So amidst the pageantry and the gift-giving and all the things that go along with Christmas that we love so much, let's remember, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word, what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son of the, from the Father, full of grace and truth. God became a man 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The second thing I want to lead us into contemplating this morning is the second phrase that Isaiah used, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isaiah says that the Messiah who's to be revealed is the sovereign ruler of the world. And again, I have to go back and think that when he writes these words, he has this Isaiah 6 vision in his mind. He says this Messiah will govern and does govern the world. The one who is to come is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he alone rules with the supremacy of power and authority and wisdom. He alone is king. And how this king must laugh at politicians and earthly kings when they think they've got it all together. He just laughs. Are you kidding me, says the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who has no beginning and no end. Jockey around for position and power all you want. But you know what? I turn your mind and I turn what you do. Think what you will. I'm in authority here. That's the God we serve. He alone rules. He says, this Messiah will alone sit as sovereign king. This king never worries about the future, ever. There is never one ounce of worry or anxiety or twiddling his thumbs about, oh, what's going to happen? This king is never hurried. Can you imagine? No, you can't imagine if you're like me. He is never hurried. He's never worried or rushed. His plans never waver. No one can say, no, I think you need to do this or that. No, the king is king. His purposes are always attained in exactly the means he ordains. He calmly orchestrates all things according to the counsel of his will. He's king. No one can stop him from doing what he is going to do. No one frustrates him from carrying out his plans. It's just not going to happen. I love what A.W. Tozer said about this aspect of our king. He said, were there even one datum of knowledge, however small, unknown to God, his rule would break down at that point. To be Lord over all the creation, he must possess all knowledge. And were God lacking one infinitesimal modicum of power, that lack would end his reign and undo his kingdom. That one stray atom of power would belong to someone else and God would be a limited ruler and hence not sovereign. Furthermore, his sovereignty requires that he be absolutely free, which means simply that he must be free to do whatever he wills, 
to do anywhere at any time to carry out his eternal purpose in every single detail without interference. Were he less than free, he must be less than sovereign. He's king. As a man, at times I do question him. Lord, why did you do it this way? Why? I don't understand. I don't understand his ways. We, I, it's hard to see anything good in what is happening at times. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 9. This very thing. He's teaching about God's sovereignty and he knows it's going to be hard for people to accept. He knows that. He anticipates questions. If you just read through Romans 9, you you can see where he's anticipating, oh, they're going to have a question here. Oh, he's going to have a question here. And so he addresses it as it goes through. Because people always have have questions about his justice and his fairness, what is right and wrong. And if you're going to sum it all up, at the end of the chapter he says, well, he's king and he's good and what he does is right, even when I don't understand. And I, for one, find some comfort there. The truth that he is king, if understood correctly, is a great source of comfort and joy. I love what my man Spurgeon says about this. He says, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. Can I just say that again? Because it ministers to me. (laughs) Y'all are here too, but okay. The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. I believe in my experience, I would crumble if I didn't know that I had a king that was active and governing my life and the life of those I love. I would crumble. I would not have any goodness left. But but thinking through the fact that my God is king, I know that whatever comes my way is not the result of some chance or fate. It's not left to fate like Anyone would find any comfort there. It's not a random, unpredictable nature of the world. It's not even Satan having unfettered access to my life. It's just not. Guys, it's a comfort to know that everything that comes into my life has passed through the loving hands of my Father. And my Father is King. And there's a purpose in it. My purpose is not, uh, and my father is not only king, but he's good and he's right and he's merciful and he's gracious, even when I can't see it, even when I don't understand it. Guys, there are days that I have to reason and preach myself that truth over and over and over again, and I think you do too. And if you don't, you're losing out on the peace that can come to a child of God. I have to remind myself that I don't have to understand why. 
I don't understand how all the pieces fit together. It's okay. He does. He knows. I just have to trust my Father. That's my one thing that I have to do in all of life is trust my Father. That's all. And He's worthy of my trust. I don't know if this is a good illustration or not, but I'm going to use it and you can decide, okay? Those of us who are parents and have chosen to vaccinate our children, you know about those doctor visits, don't you? I hate them. I hate them. Sorry we never warned our kids when they're going to have one of those because we'd have heard about it for a long time, right? Um, But you know what happens, right? You go into the office, everything is going well, and the nurse comes in and gets out those needles. And panic, you see it in their eyes. And then as a daddy or a mama, you've got to hold them down. You've got to hold them still while somebody inflicts pain on my child. And when those little eyes look up in your eyes and saying, Daddy, what are you doing? Why are you letting them do this to me? They don't understand. At least none of my kids didn't understood. Why would you let them do this to me? But as a parent, you knew that there was a reason and a purpose behind the pain. How can we say, That our loving Father, at times when He has to hold us down to get our shots, how do we think that in any way He is uncaring or lacks concern or love and that it's without purpose and meaning? How ludicrous. Sometimes we got to get our shots. And we're not going to understand it. And it's not right and it's not fair and there's nothing good about it. But the only thing that we can do is to trust that my daddy knows what he's doing. That's all we've got. I have to run to this sweet truth all the time uh, through... Pain in my own life, but especially pain in my kids' life that they have to walk through. I just don't like it. Um, feeling it pretty intensely this weekend. We had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you all did too. Had most of our family in and we ate too much and all that good stuff, right? But there was a, a hint of bittersweetness because um, many of you all know uh, one of my daughters is very ill been ill for years Um, but her and her husband couldn't come because she was too sick and so it was hard it was really hard on her and and she uh, is a writer and so she wrote a little uh, a poem that expresses what I'm trying to communicate to you so well Uh, one she's better at it than I am, but two, there's an authenticity that rings through when somebody's suffering and then can talk about suffering uh, to you. So I just want to read it, if I may, if I can. Um, It's called Suffering and Praise. 
Yeah, this is, this is not a good time. Before I start the poem, let me gird myself for a little bit. Okay. She writes, if only I could tidy my house without falling to the ground. If only I could go to church without fearing movement and sound. If only I didn't feel so dreadful just from sitting up. If only I could eat normal food without ever throwing up. If only all my thoughts were clear and I had the strength for smiles. If only my body had energy to pack and travel miles. But if all these things were so, would I ever slow to think? To puzzle out the purpose of life, would I... Would I swim or think or sink? I feel like I'm drowning now, but I know it's not true. My father holds me in feathered wings, and he is making me new. One day my body will work rightly. I've got half the poem left. All right. And never will I miss out. But more than that, with a pure heart, my soul will sink and shout. I'll get there. Hold on. Okay. He is holy even still, even through the pain. I won't forget that for my sins, the God of all was slain. That he would sacrifice his son to save me for his own. I can trust that this sad song is worth my every moan. I don't know why. Or how it can, yet in humility I say, I along with poor old Job, I wasn't there on creation day. I do not guide the orbiting planets. I do not shape the seas. I do not weave man's history. I am not the God who sees. So I'll rest in this moment, trusting that he is over all, knowing that he cares for each. And every time I fall, I'll seek the grace he's given to me. I'll find it through the haze. Then with David, I'll sing a song of suffering and praise. (laughs) Hadn't intended on that happening. Isaiah writes, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. All of these are worth our time and attention this morning, but I'll have to leave them with you to contemplate and consider. If I communicate anything to you this morning, it's that there is great value to your soul to contemplate the beauty of Jesus. Your soul will expand and its breadth and its height will stretch when we contemplate His beauty. I hope that during this Advent season, you will take the time and the effort to to, to gaze at His beauty. 
to gaze at the altogether lovely one. From the Garden of Eden, this Messiah was promised. Through redemptive history, through the law and the prophets, God promised that there was one coming who would rescue us from our sin. And he kept his word, and his name was Jesus. Today he offers himself to us. Today he says, For behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He promises that we can know him. In whatever situation you find yourself, you can know him. You can have a relationship with him. And don't you want it? Don't you want to know him? Don't you want to know this king and father beyond anything else? And if you do, you can know that the Holy Spirit is working in you to draw you into his arms, to draw you closer to him. So go with it. I yearn for that, and I yearn for you to know that. There is no other way to have a relationship with God than to trust and depend solely upon Jesus and what he has accomplished when he came. He is worthy. He is altogether lovely. Let's pray.